Holy are you, O Lord. Holy are you, O Lord. Praise your name. Thank you that you have chosen each one of us, O Lord, to be your, your church, to be your hands and your feet and your mouthpiece. O Lord God, we take our position as your, as your children, as your sons and daughters, we take our position. O God, and we praise you, we thank you that you are Lord of all, leading and guiding us, protecting us under your almighty wing. Holy God, we love you. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Mm. Ooh, we're waiting on the Lord. church went deeper and higher today. We as a, as a body have been to see the King of Kings this morning. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You have something. Come on. I knew I was waiting. <laughs> Um, I wasn't sure when God wanted me to share this, but I just felt this morning while you were worshipping that um, it was like the praise going around the walls of Jericho and that the ceiling and these walls are not containing your worship. Your worship goes out into the atmosphere and the heavenlies and, the wor and your worship um, will bring down all the walls. Amen. You know, Amen. that the walls that, that are preventing growth in your hearts and in your community. So keep worshipping and as you're worshipping, remember that, that your praise is going out. There are angels surrounding you. And um, <coughs> um, Peter, um, I just felt this, this song that started coming to me was um, We Are Standing on Holy Ground, you know that song that Charity Gale sang? And, um, and then next minute you started singing, there were angels all around. And that's exactly what I was seeing, that there was angels all around. So, yeah, thank you. It was beautiful worship. Keep worshipping. Glory to God. Glory to God in the highest. Hallelujah. Oh, I can just feel the anointing so strong. My whole body is just full of it. <laughs> so... Uh, I'm just going to hand over to whoever's doing the communion because I forgot. Oh, Pastor Shane. Thank you, Pastor Shane. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Amen. God is, he is just so good, isn't he? Um, I just, um, as, as we're partaking of communion this morning, uh, just want to continue in that, that atmosphere of honouring the Lord. As we come to take communion, it's all about Him. We're honouring Him. He's done all the work. And uh, as I was preparing this, uh, the Lord dropped into my heart a, a, a passage from 2 Samuel chapter 9 about a, a man known as Mephibosheth. And um, he was the grandson of King Saul. He was the son of Jonathan who was David's best friend and David and Jonathan had made a covenant with each other that they would look after each other uh, and, their, and their concerns and their needs all the days of their lives. And um, when Mephibosheth was five years old, his uh, dad, Jonathan, and his grandfather, Saul, were killed in battle. And that was a great danger for him because he would be, um, they would be coming for him next. So his nursemaid grabbed him with all the strength she could muster. She picked up this five-year-old and she fled. But her strength failed her and she dropped him and she broke 
both of his feet. He was broken for the rest of his life because her strength failed. Fast forward, Mephibosheth is now an adult and King David, it comes into his heart, who can I bless from the household of Saul because of the covenant I have made with David? And his servant says, there's one left. His name is Mephibosheth and he's broken. And David said, bring him. And they brought Mephibosheth to him and Mephibosheth was just so ashamed and he said, I'm just a dead dog. Why have you called for me? And David said, I've got good news for you. He poured out grace and mercy upon Mephibosheth and he said, I'm going to supply all of your needs and I want you to dine with me at my table every day. Does that remind us of something? There was a covenant made. And we were broken. We tried in our own strength to, to serve and honour God, but all it showed us was how broken we were. And, and the Lord came, just as King David came, Jesus came. And at the Last Supper, he said these words. It's Matthew 26, verse 26. While they were eating, Jesus took some bread and after blessing it, he broke it and he gave it to the disciples and he said, Come on, take, eat. This is my body. And when he had taken the cup later on, he gave thanks. And he gave it to them and he said, drink from it, all of you. And that's what we're doing today. That's what we're doing today. And he's saying, come on, take of it, eat of it. And we get to do it every day. We're sitting at the king's table. And under the table is my broken little feet. They got broken at five years old. They're no good for anything. If I get up from the table, you can see how broken and horrible I am. But while I stay at the table, all the king can see is the provision he has made. That's our position. That's what we're, we're celebrating today. And he says, come, take, eat. I've prepared the table. It's all yours. Every need supplied. All the brokenness covered. All the shame gone. So that's what we're doing today. We're celebrating, aren't we? So let's take the bread. Oops. Oh, shaky. Someone shaky. Let's take the bread and, and let's give him thanks. We thank you, our King. Our King, we came into your presence this morning and we're only worthy because of your sacrifice. And we thank you for your provision. We thank you that you've done everything we could not do. We appreciate you and we take eat now, Lord, in your name. Mm, thank you, Lord. And we take this cup, Lord. We thank you that you said this is the blood of the covenant, my blood, the new covenant. Drink it, all of you. And we drink it this morning, Lord, and we appreciate that your covenant has covered us. Your love is ours and you are our portion every day. We take now and we drink it, Lord, in Jesus' name, and we thank you. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Let me just move some stuff up here. Because as you know, I like to walk around. And if I trip over stuff, that'll be really embarrassing, won't it? Praise the Lord. How was worship this morning? Worship team, thank you. Thank you. We'll lift Graham up. Graham's a little bit ill this morning. So we, we lifted him up in prayer before we started. It's not quite the same without him, is it? But it's still good. And it's great to see some new faces. These guys have traveled all the way down from Rocky to attend a breakfast yesterday. We've got some new faces at the back. Welcome, everyone. 
It's great to have everyone here. Who's had a good week? Who's had a bit of a rough week? Who's been attacked by the devil this week? You know why that is, right? You might remember me saying when I finished my 40-day fast that Jesus was tempted after his fast, right? And you got another week of it because I said it would probably start to finish up around Pentecost, which is next Sunday. So I'm sorry, Carolyn. As one of the intercessors in the church, you might have another week of it. But we're praying for you. As you're interceding on behalf of the church and on behalf of us, we're lifting you up in prayer as well. Let me read this to you before I start. It's Mark 16, and I'll start from 15 onwards. And, he's, and he said to them, Go into the world and preach and publish openly the good news to every creature. Guess what? Monday week, we're off to Korea to preach the good news for a week. And from Seoul, we travel to Israel for almost two weeks. You know, we're going to see Jews saved. No one's happy about that? A couple of people? Hallelujah. We'll see Muslims saved as well, I believe. Praise the Lord. And it says, he who believes, I'm going to read from the Amplified Version, he who believes, who adheres to and trusts in and relies on the gospel and him whom it sets forth and is baptized will be saved. That's our job, right? That's the, the Great Commission. Be saved from the penalty of eternal death. But he who does not believe, who does not adhere to and trust in and rely on the gospel and him who sets it forth, who it sets forth, sorry, will be condemned. Now get ready for this bit. Pentecost Sunday next week, when you walk in here, this room will not look like this. We're setting it up completely differently. And my challenge some of you, but let me encourage you to embrace it. There's going to be freedom next week. There's going to be healing. There's going to be prayer. And we're going to do something that does not happen in churches. I'm not going to tell you what it is. You can wait and find out next week. Our elders know what it is because they're part of it which in turn you will all be part of it next week. Verse 17, And these attesting signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons. Hallelujah. Amen. Get ready for that next week. Pastor Cindy's excited. I love it. They will speak in new languages. They will speak in tongues. If you've got someone who wants that, get them here next week. They will pick up serpents. And even if they drink anything deadly, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will get well. Pentecost Sunday, it's coming next week. And then the Lord Jesus, it says, was taken up to heaven. And the disciples, and they went out and preached everywhere. Did they just preach in churches? No. They preached everywhere. The walls came down. The worship went out. While the Lord kept working with them and confirming the message by attesting signs and miracles. Get ready, church. You've been hearing me say that for almost two years now. Get ready. It's coming. It's coming. We've seen some miracles. We've seen some healings. We've seen some people in the last couple of weeks get ill have issues with family and that sort of thing. That's just an attack. Don't worry about it. Stand against it. Pray for each other. Pray for each other. Pray for us. We're heading away. Zane and Diana, they get, we're meeting them in Israel. Pastor Amel and Pastor Grace, we're meeting them in Seoul and then we're flying out that day. Apostle Di and Aunty Patty are in Korea now. They've been there for a week. Week? Two weeks. One week. So they're spending three weeks in Korea. You know how many days they get off? One. One day in three weeks where they actually get off. And you know those two. They're not going to rest. They'll be out doing something else. Praise the Lord. Gordy, can I get you to come and pray for the offering before I go any further? I just wanted to share that because we need to get ready, church. We're going to see those miracles. We're going to see those healings. And we're going to hear Gordy pray for our offering.
Um, I'm reading this morning from uh, Malachi 3, starting from verse 10. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be, may be food in my house, and prove me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. <clears throat> I will not open... I will not open for you the windows of heaven, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven, and pour out for you such a blessing. And there will, and there will not be a room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground. <clears throat> Nor shall the vine fell to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be delighted, a delighted land, says the Lord of hosts. Thank you, Lord, for that blessing of your word this morning. And Lord, we ask now that uh, you bless the tithes and the offerings. And bless all those that have given, Lord, Thank you for your greatest offering that you ever gave us. We can never match that, Lord, but we give you the glory and the praise and the honor in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord. I think Gordy's touched on something that really opens up the blessings there. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Not just a little bit, but all the tithes. When you get that revelation, you should then get another one, which is first fruits and terumah and that sort of thing. That's where the blessings get opened up. So this month, as you know, we're working on a series titled The Christian Family and Living for Christ in the Present. Now you can look at these messages in two ways. You can look at them as your physical family, which I think is an important thing to do, but you can also look at them through the eyes of the Christian family, the, the body of Christ. Because we know that marriage and the family are under stress, don't we? We know that the world and the government and everything out there is trying to tear family apart. And the church has a vital stake in husband and wife relationships and parent and child relationships for those who call themselves believers. When we were in South Africa for two months, four years ago now, be close to four years ago, the church is almost four years old, we spent almost every night while we were there doing marriage counselling and counselling people with their children and that sort of thing. But what happens over there happens here as well. So today we're going to talk about something vitally important. It's friends of the family. What are the friends of the family? Who are the friends of the family? And in a couple of weeks, so those watching online, there'll be no broadcast message next week because we're doing something special. If you want to be part of it, come to church. But the week after, we'll do another message which is enemies of the family. And I'll post it from South Korea. But today we're going to talk about friends of the family. But let's pray before we go any further. Father, you've taught us to love one another. Just as you've loved us. Help us today that we need to see that many of your best gifts to us are the people that you put in our lives. Lord, we're your people. And you have made us to be friends. May our friendships always strengthen one another and bring glory to you. Lord, much of what we have is made possible through the help of and encouragement of our friends and our church that you've put in our, in our path. Lord, help us this morning to be worthy friends of others, and we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. I feel as everyone's so far away from me today. The camera wasn't already set, I'd move forward. But. 
The text we're going to look at today is Matthew 7.24. I'm reading from the New King James Version. It'll be up on the screens for you. But if you've got your Bible, open it up. Let me encourage you next week, bring your Bible to church. You're going to need it. I may call on you to do something. Come pray it up next week because I may ask you to pray next week. Matthew 7.24 talks about being built on the rock. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. If you do what Jesus said, you'll be like a wise man or woman. The scriptures we're going to work through are Matthew 7.24 through to 29. Let me just share something with you. The worship stepped up this morning again, didn't it? For those of you who weren't at our place on Friday night, a week or so ago we had breakfast with Dr. Mike Kwok, who is the head of Billy Graham Evangelistic Ministries in Australasia. He rang us on Friday, wasn't it? Friday afternoon. And he said, Gary, you told me that you've got some talented musicians. I said, yes. He says, do you think you can get them to play for us at our breakfast where all the churches are going to be on the Gold Coast on the 9th of June? It's like, yes, we can do that. Out of all the churches, all those big churches, I'm talking Hillsong, Glow, you know all the big ones. They rang this small church on the Gold Coast to say, can your worship team bless us with a couple of songs? Hallelujah. You know what? We're not even going to be there. We'll be in Israel. But what a blessing. So we need to keep praying for these guys, especially Peter, because he's going to be the one leading it. No pressure, Peter, but you're it. Yeah, I was getting to that. There's something special about this for Peter, though, as well. Some of you may know, but many of you won't know, that Peter's dad is a retired Anglican minister who was actually saved at a Billy Graham crusade. And now he gets to go and lead worship at Billy Graham's grandson's breakfast. There's a circle there, right? Praise the Lord. Oh, it gives me shivers. <laughs> Praise the Lord. That's a special thing. Church, you've got to understand what you've got here. You've got to understand what you've got. The Lord is moving. Praise the Lord. That's exciting. There's going to be churches on the, on the Gold Coast at this breakfast saying, where'd these guys come from? I know those big pastors personally. They're going to be saying, where did these guys come from? <laughs> that exactly right. The cave of Adotham. That's where they come from. They've been hiding, but they're coming out. Matthew 7, 24 to 29 are the scriptures we're going to work through. Let me read them to you. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. And it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell. And great was its fall. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching. For he had taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Praise the Lord. We've all heard or experienced stories of floods or cyclones coming through and destroying houses, haven't we? Just excuse me for a second. Are the tissues still over here? We've all heard those stories. Some of us have lived up north and lived through them. We lived in Bowen for four years. And in those four years, I don't know how many cyclones we had. We'd often just sleep through them. And you'd look on the news the next morning and you'd be like, hang on, that's just down the road. You guys live in Rocky. You get the effects of the cyclones up there. Yeah, but the effect will still go through. 
We've all heard the stories where the houses are destroyed. And people who have lost their homes probably felt secure, didn't they? Because they may have seen flooding or cyclones previously. When Cyclone Ida came through, Bowen, it'll be nine years ago now. We remember that one very well. We got married in the eye of that cyclone. We had a beautiful beach wedding planned. We'd managed to get all of our five children into Bowen at the one time, which if you've got children that live all over the place and all sorts of things, it's difficult. We fly them all in. Through it comes. The pastor says to us, it's okay, we can, we can do it at the church, which was a great idea except for the flooding. We get there and the pastor's doghouse is getting blown down the road and the only people at the church were the ones that couldn't get out. All the guests couldn't get there. I pick Amanda up two hours early and there's, there's water halfway up the doors in my four-wheel drive. We remember what cyclones are like. But imagine the people that the houses were submerged and they thought they were safe. Do you like how I remember that it was nine years? <laughs> Gentlemen, you've got to get the points wherever you can. Amen. Amen. Pastor Shane knows about it. <laughs> Imagine how people must have felt when they'd invested so much money and time in their houses and they started to fall apart and become submerged. We've seen the floodings, haven't we, in Brisbane and up north and, and Sydney and Melbourne. Imagine when people were forced to leave their homes in fear. Do you remember the pictures just recently, just west of Brisbane? There's people on their roofs in their houses. There's people getting trapped because they're, they're actually in between the ceiling and the roof. Many kinds of enemies, often unforeseen ones, eat away at the foundation, not only of our houses, but of our homes. The financial investment that we've made in our houses is not all that is threatened, though, is it? People's survival is threatened. People's families are vulnerable when these storms of life come through. And to paraphrase a common scripture, which is Mark 8.36, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? We could very well say, what good is it for some to gain the whole world but forfeit their family? And that's what we're talking about today. What have you chased after and forfeited your family for? As sure as there are enemies of the family, there are also certain friends of the family, though. So in two weeks' time, you will get a message online that is enemies of the family. But let's talk about the friends first. Jesus not only taught us what to guard against, but what to embrace, didn't he? He not only taught us what to do, but he helps us see how to do it. If you're in one of those situations where you just don't know what to do, maybe you need to open this up and read it and pray and ask the Lord. Those that were our place on Friday night, that's what we've been talking about, haven't we? Hearing the voice of God, how to hear the voice of God. In today's scripture reading, Jesus gave us the clues we need for building healthy families and building a healthy church because we're a church family. When one of us hurts, we all hurt, don't we? When one of us bleeds, we all bleed. When one of us celebrate, we all celebrate. It's Diana's birthday through the week. We all celebrate. So the first point today is God's word is a friend of the family. This is a friend of the family. Why do you think it's banned in countries? Why do you think it's so attacked? Why do you think the world doesn't want us on street corners preaching because this is a friend of the family. Why do you think in America, if you stand out the front of Planned Parenthood praying or reading the word, you'll get arrested? And the same in the UK because this is a friend of the family. Jesus said that this is where, where we hear his words 
and we do them. And then we'll be like the wise man who built his house on the rock. We all hear his words when we come to church on a Sunday, but we actually do them. I had a, a bit of a laugh with Pastor Grace a couple of weeks ago. Nico heard part of my message. Didn't he, Pastor Grace? Nico heard part of the message. Parents should give their children. That's the part he heard. <laughs> Praise the Lord that he's listening. Jesus said this is where we need to hear his words and do them. We almost always interpret this verse as an admonition for personal ethics, don't we? But it also applies to building healthy families. If the Lord's telling you to do something personally, it also means you need to do it for your family and with your family. Because it's not about you. It's about Him. The words of Scripture give us a strong authority and a base for making decisions in our families. Some families make decisions about what they will allow their children to do by calling their neighbours to find out what they're going to let their children do. It's not the best way to do things, is it? Many families decide on their spending priorities about watching what their neighbours buy. You know, keeping up with the Joneses? They've just bought a new car. We should get a new car too. Or they've just bought a, a, a massive big TV. We should buy a massive big TV too. People who decide what is appropriate or inappropriate simply by taking the popular temperature are going to get themselves into trouble quickly. If you have worldly neighbours and they're the ones you're looking at to decide what you should do, you're going to get into trouble really quickly. These people are like men who built their house on the sand. We got any builders here? We got a couple Pauls there. I was a bricklayer. I know Michael used to be a bricklayer for a while. Mean dirt. You know, if you build your house on sand, it's not going to work out that well, is it? You've got to put the foundations down. Every wind and storm that comes and shakes those houses or those people to their foundation will destroy them. But those who built their house and their life on the strong foundation of the Word of God have a strong foundation that will hold their lives together. You know, I've never met anyone that is still walking with Christ. Let me, let me phrase this properly. Those who rely on God's Word and the foundation that He's built doesn't mean life's going to be easy. There's still going to be challenges. But when those storms come, you can stand firm. Sadly, too many, when those storms come, turn away from the Word of God and they walk away from the church and they walk away from that relationship because their houses were built on sand. If we build our homes, our lives, on the Word of God, we must be careful to interpret the Word correctly. One of the biggest challenges within the church over the last 50, 100 years has been this hasn't been interpreted correctly. We try and put what we think into it. Don't we? We add words. So it makes sense for us. And then we don't feel so guilty in our sin. We've got to start interpreting it correctly. We are blessed in this church that we have prophets and teachers and apostles that will interpret the word for us and they'll help us. We have pastors that will help us walk through it. Scripture can be taken out of context. We've all done it. And it has devastating consequences. For example, it could empower a husband to be a tyrant by reminding him of his responsibility to love his wife as Christ loved the church. That, that, those scriptures there are some of the most twisted scriptures ever. God's word is not to be used as a hammer to beat other people down. 
should be used to foster thoughtful concern for people and sacrificial compassion for each member of the family. I'm talking about your families and the church family now. Sometimes you need to be a, a small hammer and give people a tap to get them into line, but we're not to be beating them down. God's Word provides the family with the standard against which to examine issues and to make thoughtful, moral and equitable decisions. When we have to make a decision within our, within our marriage, within our family, if we can't agree on what it is, gentlemen, I make the decision. You know what that means? I need to wear the consequences, good or bad. I don't get to say to Pastor Amanda if it all goes well, see, I told you so. But she doesn't get to say that to me if it all goes bad. I just have to say, hey, we messed up. And I get to say we because we are one. So there's four precepts that Jesus says we should apply, especially to the family. Let me go through them. First one is forgiveness. Who's good at forgiveness? A couple of people. Who can be better at forgiveness? Everyone should have their hand up. Who likes forgiveness? Who has to seek it daily? You can put your hand up too, Pastor Amanda. <laughs> Jesus said that when we pray, we should pray to be forgiven in the same way that we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. Lord, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. In Matthew 18, 22, Jesus said that we are to be given not seven times, but 70 times seven. You know that's for each thing? That's a day. For some of us, it's even more than a day. Like every hour, perhaps. Nothing is more devastating to a home than old hurts and offences that have not been forgiven. Hey, there's plenty of that in my family. If we make forgiveness a priority in our family and forgive even when it isn't easy to forgive, we'll be able to withstand the storms, won't we? We shouldn't just say, well, if, if you forgive me, I'll forgive you. No, we just have to forgive. It's especially important that we forgive our parents for the times when they were not able or willing to be the parents that we needed talking to everyone here from a Western culture. I'm sure the Eastern cultures aren't quite that difficult. They could be. But in Western culture, sometimes our parents weren't what we needed them to be. Many families are still torn apart because of misunderstandings related to wills and inheritances. Just do what I did. Buy your inheritance. You don't have to worry about the will later on. You shouldn't be fighting over that stuff. If you're left out of it, suck it up. Don't take your brothers and sisters to court. It's not worth it. Just tears everything apart more. The ironic truth is that those who are hurt most by un the unforgiving spirit are not those who are unforgiven, but those who will not forgive. It's like drinking poison yourself and hoping someone else dies. Doesn't work. The second precept is love. Who wants more love? Who's good at giving it? Margaret's all over it today. <laughs> Jesus made it clear that his followers are to love their enemies as well as their friends. Our enemies are a little bit harder to love, right? That was a resounding, yep, Sally. <laughs> Absolutely. Sadly, we often find it difficult, though, don't we, to love even within our own families. We're called to love the unlovable. Apostle Shenley once said to me, no, it was Pastor Dwayne Van Furen from Bowen. He says, how, how should you love people? I said, well, tell me, because I think this is a trick question. <laughs> he said, well, how do you hold ugly? He said, you put your hands out like that, and when it's dropped in your hands, you don't just drop it like most people would. 
You hold on to it gently like it's a newborn baby. You nurture it. You look after it. We've got to learn how to hold ugly. We've got to learn how to love the unlovable. Jesus provided us with the direction that we need. The Apostle Paul picked up on Christ's strong example of love in Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Husbands, can we all do a little bit better on that? I'm sure we can. Because we're just human. So we've got to keep striving. When Christ lives in us, we begin to discover the resources for a love that can give itself away. I'm happy to die for this church. I'm happy to die for the church family. Many of you have heard me say that. If we get to the point where I'm on my knees and they say, renounce Christ or lose your head, take my head. Threaten me with heaven, I don't care. Go your hardest. But if they had a gun to your kneecap, it might be a different decision, right? It's going to be a little bit harder. As we prayfully remember how the Lord has loved us, He will create in us an energy to love those around us. With my family background and what I went through as as a child and as a teenager, I should not have the capacity to love anyone at all. I should not have the capacity to trust anyone at all. But God. But God. Pastor Amanda will tell you, even when we met, I was probably pretty hard to love, wasn't I? Don't have to agree that much. Just agree a little. What Pastor Amanda doesn't tell you is her background was pretty rough as well. God can put two things that are broken together and make something good out of it. Praise the Lord. There's three people in our marriage. God and us. For me, it's God, Pastor Amanda, everything else. Pastor Amanda, it's God, Pastor Gary, everything else. (laughs) And that's okay. God comes first because we need his love so we can love everyone else. You know, some of you are unlovable sometimes. (laughs) But we still love you. Even when... (laughs) We still love you. We pray for you continually. We need you to pray for us continually as well. The best definition of this kind of love is found in 1 Corinthians 13. Here we discover the excellent guidelines for showing love within the family. Have a read of it. The third precept is faithfulness. The fabric of the family is a tightly woven material. The fabric of the church is a tightly woven material. Extramarital affairs introduced into the marriage relationship. Things that will just tear it apart. Some of us have been there before. Some of us have been married before. And that was the thing that tore the marriage apart, wasn't it? And there's no judgment. There's no condemnation. Jesus called the Christian family to fidelity and to a love that keeps its eyes focused on each other. The physical love relationship between a mother and father is absolutely essential for a healthy family. You can read between the lines there to to pick up what I'm saying. It's absolutely essential. Indeed, the best gift a father can give his children is to love their mother. We don't have children together, but our children are our children. My children treat Amanda as their mother. Amanda's children treat me as their father, and we did not force that. They saw how I love their mother. Therefore, they get the same love, and they give it in return. That's the best gift a father can give his children. The fourth precept is the supremacy of God. The supremacy of God, because the family is so significant and can bring so much happiness. 
that we may be inclined to worship our family and elevate it to a place only God ought to have. Talking to some pastors out there that may be watching online. We know pastors that have put their family before God. And you know what happens then? Their church puts them before God. They're put on that pedestal where only God deserves to be. The pastor becomes an idol. The family becomes an idol. And in the end, a wishy-washy message is preached, which benefits no one except Satan. The family is significant. But God has to come first. Matthew 10, 37 to 39 reminds us of the absolute primacy of our allegiance to God. He comes before all other allegiances in life, even before loyalty to our family. You know, we're the only ones in our entire families that are saved. You know how many times our families have organised things on Sunday morning? Well, just don't worry about going to church. No, God comes first. We've all been there, right? God comes first. And you know how cranky they get when you turn up late? Because you still try and honour the family and, and go, but it's all finished when you get there which is also a little bit deliberate. God has to come first. He has to come before everything else. As important as the family is to Christian life, it's not the ultimate for us. Our second thing, man, I don't even want to do our second thing. The church is a friend of the family. The church is a friend of the family. We have to understand that. When Jesus described the the founding of his church, he spoke of building it on a rock. As we consider Jesus' parable about the wise builder who built on the rock, we remember that he took his own teaching to heart, didn't he? The house he built, the church, is the second great friend to your family. You know, God works through his church. He doesn't work through McDonald's or Hungry Jack's or anything else. He works through his church. He doesn't work through our job. He works through his church. You're an extension of that. Who here has said, but I am the church? No one. Wow. I know, I know most of you have at one stage or another. So he can work through you, but you need to come and get filled. It's the place where God's word is taken seriously and authoritatively, isn't it? The church is the place where God's word is taken seriously. Go to your workplace and start preaching the word. See how serious they take you. The church is an important institution for the family. The church provides much-needed support through the many relationships that it makes possible. Older families, older church members become a model for the younger ones, don't they? It doesn't matter how old you are, you can learn something and you can be an influence on someone else. This witness helps the younger families and the younger people within the church make decisions and plan how they want to build their families and raise their children and interact with other people. Older families are strengthened as they provide guidance for the younger families. Some of our more matured believers here, I picked my words carefully, Sally. But some of our more mature believers, you know that you can learn from the younger ones. I see the joy in your eyes when one of the young ones gets up and, and prays or, or has a word or, or is in the worship team. Remember when Brother Sadu was here? The joy on Brother Sadu's face when he saw Noah playing the drums. He's like, there's a young, a young one up here. It's like, yes. When a family knows that there are younger families who believe in them and admire them, they are encouraged to be faithful to the Lord and to the task of building the best families that they can. To our more mature believers, the young ones are watching you. They're keeping an eye on you. Like, how does Sally do that? How does Gordy do that? 
How does Carolyn pray the way she does and intercede? They're watching. How does Nick know so much about the Jewish heritage of the church? They're watching. How does Shane dance so well? <laughs> They're watching. But that, that forces us on, doesn't it? It makes us look at ourselves and, and step up and make sure we're doing the best we can do. All families are helped by their peers. And knowing that we are part of a whole body of people who are sharing the same joys and struggling with the same concerns gives us courage to press on forward and not give up. All kinds of families find a place of belonging in the church. Did you notice the worship team this morning? Our worship team represented, I think I counted five nations. Everyone finds their place within the church. It might not be the place you think it is, but everyone will find their place when they let the Lord direct them. The church is a place of refuge for those who are mentally and physically impaired. It provides family for those who don't have family on their own. Christmas Day, if anyone remembers, we had a breakfast here. We used to always do it at home, where people who had nowhere to go would come to our place. That's what the church does. It offers a network of support for families that are broken by death or divorce. The church stands beside them as the hurts are healed and as God helps them begin again. Because, you know, a death is not the end of it. As I said on Friday night, when Peter said that his friend Nathaniel had passed away, worship leader at Hillsong, 40-something years old, massive heart attack, dead. Death isn't the end. God can use it for good. The church stands beside people when they're in hurt and walks with them. Families need friends to have the same goals, don't they? Our eldership in this church and our pastors all have the same goal. We want to see this city saved. We want to see this city known as the God Coast. We want people to come here not to go to a concert, but to meet Jesus. Families need friends with the same goals. We don't need the best worship team, although I think we have got the best worship team. We don't need the big screens and the skinny jeans and the smoke machines. We don't need any of that. We've got a goal of getting the city saved. That's what it's about. We have a church of apostles and prophets, and Jesus is the chief cornerstone. We tend to adopt the standards and the attitudes and the ambitions of our friends, don't we? I always keep an eye on Pastor Ramel, my brother, because I know he hears from God. And if he starts going in a particular direction, I'm going to be like, hang on a minute, I think I need to go over there <laughs> in case I'm the one that's out of line. Because we have the same standards. We have the same goals. We have the same attitudes. We have the same ambitions. Our friends shape our futures. Our church can shape our future. One of the best gifts that the church can give a young couple is, to, is a place where they can, they can meet other couples. Could be where they, they meet other people who aren't married. The church is a gathering place where we can worship the Lord together. It can be a place where they, they get encouragement. The church can be the pillar. You know, it's not that many years ago, a couple of decades that people would go to church on a Sunday. That's changed. There's a problem there. But we can get back to that. The church helps families learn how to worship together. I looked around this morning and just about everyone in the room was worshipping this morning. And you know when you're worshipping, it lifts the person next to you up. And then when the person next to them sees them worshipping, it lifts them up. 
and we're all lifting each other up because we're lifting him up. As families worship on Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, they learn how to praise God and to rejoice his creation outside the church. We are so blessed that as pastors we can leave the church for three weeks and go overseas and minister to others because we know you will keep worshipping. We know you will keep teaching. You'll keep praying. You'll keep lifting each other up. It's a bold thing for us to step out and for Pastor Romel and Grace to also step out and the church just goes on. My goal is to work myself out of a job where anyone in the church can step up and minister that week. That's why I said, bring your Bibles next week. I might call on you. So come to church. Don't let that be something that stops you next week because you're going to miss out on something special. There's a reason that we're not broadcasting it. Worship becomes a natural part of our daily living, doesn't it? I wake up at night with a song in my head or a prayer. Worship should be something we do naturally. And let me tell you, if you, this isn't the director at the worship team, but it'll sound like it. If you can't worship unless you're rostered on, I don't want you worshipping or being rostered on. I want you to learn to worship first. If you can't pray, I don't want you to come up the front and pray. Children who learn how to worship in church and outside are prepared for what's going on. They're prepared for the power and the majesty of God's work throughout their entire life. You know, it's not just between 9.30 and 11 on a Sunday morning. We should be worshipping all the time. Children become the more sensitive. We as believers become more sensitive to the transcendent dimension that overarches our life. I said it on Friday night. I've said it in, from the pulpit so many times. The gap between heaven and earth is paper thin. It's paper thin at the moment. Our third thing is the community can be a friend of the family. Christians should want support or to support good schools and good teachers who care. I know we've got a couple of teachers here, but most teachers aren't that good. Most of them couldn't pass maths or English themselves these days. That's, that's proven. That's why the teachers' union is trying to change the requirements. They're trying to lessen them. But good teachers we should support. Good schools we should support. Those schools that are being on the news all the time because they ask a child, ask a boy, not to dress as a girl. We should be supporting them. I'll say it again. There's two genders. There's boy, male, girl, female. And about 600 mental disorders. Do not affirm them. Pray for them. I've been asked the question over the last couple of weeks, a couple of times, and in fact in the last few years a lot of times, what happens if a cross-dresser walks into the church? They're welcome. But if a guy walks in dressed as a girl and wants us to call him a girl, we will not affirm that. Male, female, that is it. A stable community is something we should support. An honest government, if there is such a thing, we should support. And we know at the moment we don't have one. Labour and Liberal, two wings on the same bird. And the Greens are the tail that is directing them. But if there is such thing as an honest government, we need to support it. Because... If we can get a stable community and an honest government, that's the products of what people who are willing to, to pray and stand up will get. We need, 
going to say this very carefully. We need to be involved in politics, but not the crazy politics. If you're unsure which is which, come and see me later. We need to be able to support libraries, medical resources, marriage enrichment opportunities, cultural activities in a community that are biblical and that support the health of the family in the city, whichever city you're in. Christians that are doing God's work for families are reinforcing positive and healthy attitudes in their local communities. My prayer is that's each of us, that we are producing and reinforcing positive and healthy attitudes in our community. I love that Pastor Ramel and Grace go and pick students up from the airport whom they often don't know, but they're coming in. Imagine landing in Australia, in Coolangatta, and thinking, right, I've got somewhere to stay. I, I have no idea how to get there. And then realising that you don't have a pillow, you don't have a blanket, you, you don't have the necessities. That's the sort of stuff that this church can be involved in. That's the sort of things that Pastor Amel and Grace are already doing. That's reinforcing positive and healthy Christian attitudes, isn't it? We're helping people. On the 29th of this month, we will land in South Korea. And we don't know. We know we've got to be two hours away from Seoul. We don't know whether someone's picking us up or we're catching a train. I don't even know the place we're going to. But someone, I'm sure, will turn up because they have that Christian attitude and they're going to reinforce it. We do stand out. <laughs> we do stand out. And I don't fly very well, so I'll be probably all twisted up and still got the sore knee and everything. So I will stand out for sure. And then they'll see Pastor Amanda and think there's an angel there. <laughs> don't look at me like that. As we finish up, do we have another song with the worship team? Yep, the worship team can come up. As we finish up, healthy families are no accident. If your family's not healthy, look at yourself first. Because healthy families are no accident. They're built under the authority of God's word. And in the fellowship of his church. And in a community where people encourage one another into healthy living. Let's build our families, church, on that sure foundation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's build our church on that sure foundation of Jesus Christ. If you read our church constitution, that's exactly what it says. This church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus as the chief cornerstone. For those who have been in the building industry, for those bricklayers amongst us, what's the first thing we build when we walk on site? The corner. The first brick that's laid is actually at the lowest point. Do you know that? You always start from the lowest point and build a corner and go from there. Let's start doing that and building on the rock. Lord, we thank you this morning. As we, we come to a little bit more worship and then we have some fellowship, we thank you this morning, Lord, that as a church we can gather together. Lord, that we have a worship team that can lead us into your presence. We thank you, Lord. For those all watching online, we thank you, Lord. We pray that they can come next week. Lord, we thank you for how you're using each and every one of us. Not just in this city. Not just in our families. But in the wider community. Within the state, Lord. Within the country. And Lord, even within other nations. Lord, we thank you for your blessings. We thank you for your wisdom and we thank you for your knowledge. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray this morning. Amen. 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 Let's, uh, let's stand up together. We're just going to just spend a moment to love on the Lord.
and to allow the words that have been preached this morning to sink in and soak in us. We are are so blessed to have the Word of God, our truth, the Word of God to stand on so that our families, our marriages, our mother and children relationships can be blessed. And as we um, take on the Word of God in our relationships and in our marriages, in our families, we will see the church rise up strong. We will see our community become more godly. And my goodness, don't we need it? So bringing it all back to with the Lord Jesus being the centre of it all, let's sing I Love You, Lord, just now. I love you. 